good? That's good. So, uh, as Pastor Steve's already mentioned to you, I get to talk to us about tithes and offerings. You know what? I love talking about money in church. And everyone winces. <laughs> I love talking about money in church. I do. Because every time we do, we take another step away from the kingdom of darkness that's made it so hard for us to speak about it. Every time we speak about uh, finance and every time we talk about stewardship, we take another step away from the enemy who has taken so much away from the church in terms of talking about it. Amen? So as we talk about it today, I pray that your hearts be opened. And let's just pray together before we start, eh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of provision. We thank you that regardless of where we've come from or what we've done, Lord, you provide always. Lord, even, <laughs> even those who don't know you, Lord, and those who would credit everything that they have to themselves, Lord, it is your grace that allows them to have it. So, Father, we just commit our lives to you right now. I pray, I pray the, that you would speak through me as your servant, Lord, to be able to give the word that you are wanting to give today. Father, we bless you. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Does God really want me to give? Good question. So in weeks two, week two of our, of our stewardship talks, um, if you missed out on last week, please make sure you go back and have a listen to that. Um, but does God really want me to give? So it's my aim today to discuss the heart and the motive behind the tithes and the offerings. Um, and I just wanted to start with my experience, first of all, with tithes and offerings. Um, thankfully, today I, I practice it a lot better than I used to. Um, I remember when I was uh, just recently married, probably about one or two, three years into a marriage, and there's a particular event that happened to my family where uh, we sort of really made a decision that we would tithe. And it, was, it actually came around a time where we had tried to save up some money to go away on a holiday. And in order to save up for this holiday, our family, we, Vi and myself, my wife, we, we decided that we would hold on to the tithe that we would usually give. And we thought we were doing a good thing. And we, we thought it was, you know, well, God understands what we want. <laughs> I think before I've said, God understands my selfishness. And... Um, we went on this, we, we, we booked a holiday down in Jarvis Bay, up in, from up in Sydney, and we started to drive down to Jarvis Bay, and uh, my brother was coming with us, he was driving, and the car overheated, and we blew a gasket, we did a whole bunch of damage, because we didn't just stop, we sort of stopped and just like half prayed and half just impatient and frustrated, just decided to try to keep going, and um we ended up, yeah, we did, ended up doing a whole lot of damage to our car. And uh, my wife's words to me, I think, that afternoon or later on that evening were actually, she, I, I don't think we should have been holding on to the tithe. <laughs> that was the furthest thing from my mind. I couldn't care less. I was just like, oh, just, we're not going to Jarvis Bay. I'm angry. <laughs> but um, she asked the question and I just thought, oh, well, I don't know. But um, we took the car back, had to get it towed back. Uh, the spending money that we took down 
to, with us to, to go and uh, have a good time down in Jarvis Bay. We ended up using it for a tow truck, uh, towing the car back to Sydney, putting it into a, a, a mechanic, and uh, the mechanic came back with the, the good news that we had blown a gasket and we cracked one of the cylinder heads. It was good news. <laughs> um, and uh, I, was, I was the only one working at the time, but I was staying at home with Michaela, and um, things were already hard. We, I wasn't making a lot of money, and um, we were living in a two-bedroom unit, and it was just, rent was half the paycheck. <laughs> so it was hard. It was already hard. Um, the next week, I took the days off that I was supposed to be in Jarvis Bay. Next week on the Tuesday, uh, I went into work, and uh, I think I need to tell you about my co-worker a little bit. My co-worker was a borderline Satanist. Um, I would catch a train over to his part of town, and I'd jump into his ute, and uh, his favorite song to play after he found out that I was a Christian was... Um, his favorite song to play when he found out I was a Christian was God is Dead. So I'd listen to that every morning. I think that, I think that, that was his favorite song for about six months to say good morning with. <laughs> awesome guy. Awesome guy. Very good friend of mine. I love him. I love him. Um, I step into the, uh, I step into, sorry, it's not a ute, it was a van. I step into his van and uh, we start heading to work and I'm stressed because I talked to the bar and I thought, oh man, I'm going to ask, have to ask the boss for an advance. Because the mechanic's called up and he's told us that it's going to cost us about three and a half, four thousand dollars to fix the car. Damn, I'm going to be working for free for the next four, five, six, seven, eight weeks. Didn't know what was going to happen. And I'd, he was a hard man anyway, my boss. So I just thought, no way I'm going to get this. I'm going to have to rob someone, I reckon. <laughs> but um, I explained this to my Satanist friend. And he looks at me and he goes, you can ask, oh, I won't say his name, you can ask, someone, you can ask the boss for, for an advance. And I was like, yeah, 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 I am. Well, I've got no choice. I, I, my family needs a car. We need a car. And uh, this friend of mine, he looks at me and he goes, no way he's going to give that to you. And I said, maybe so, but I've got to ask. And then he looks at me and he goes, don't ask, I've got it. That same day, he transfers the whole amount into my account and just says to me, as you can pay it off, you do it. And if you can't, that's fine. The Satans. I tell you, there was never another moment in my life where I decided that giving into God's kingdom is beneficial for me more than it is for him. Even in my disobedience, he came through. And it's an amazing God of grace that we serve. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I say this to take us back to what Pastor Steve was sharing uh, back last week when reading from the book of Malachi. Uh, as he talks about the church in Malachi. Pastor Steve was sharing around the church in, uh, that's described in Malachi. And they were bringing uh, uh, an offering that wasn't pure, it wasn't holy, it wasn't what was prescribed for the people of Israel. They were bringing him an offering of animals and the, the animals that they were bringing in were lame and they were blotted, they were blemished. 
and they were already they would have been used uh, they wouldn't have been used for the feasts that they would hold for for celebrations of their their weddings and of the ceremonies that they would celebrate within their families but they were bringing it in as an offering into the house of God and as I put that to today or even if, if as I as I apply it to my life I'm reminded of the times that giving into God's kingdom was only if I had enough left over that was the how I viewed it, it was like, well I've got this to pay for I've got my bills and I've got uh, the, the little fun that I get to have and that I'll keep my money for that and then when it comes to the things of God's kingdom whatever if I have something left then I'll put that in only if there's something left And what I didn't realize, oh, I better turn it on first, is that I was robbing God. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. If you go back, if you go to the scripture, very clear. Is that I was robbing God. And as I read this scripture and I, and I looked it over in, in my own study, I was just thinking, how do you rob God? Like it, it says it clearly in the scriptures. Like how do you rob God though? How would you rob anyone else? You'd sort of stand him over or, not that I have experience, but you'd <laughs> you stand him over. I don't know, you'd take a weapon or something and you'd threaten them and then you would take it off him. And I realized that that's not what the scripture is saying. Because who's going to do that to God? Do you feel like you can do that to God? <laughs> do you feel like you could actually stand over God, threaten him with a, with a weapon and tell him to empty his pockets for you? No. So our understanding of the scripture, even when we read it off face value, sometimes I feel like I read it and I'm just like, that just doesn't make sense because I can't rob God. If you look in the context of the scripture of what he's actually trying to say, what you were doing by holding onto a tithe is robbing God of his opportunity to bless you. Because that's all he wants to do. He just wants to bless you anyway. We have this mindset that when we come and we give it to God, and then all of a sudden that's just where it stays, and that's it. That's the end of the journey. But that's wrong. <laughs> you rob him of the opportunity to bless us. Everyone hearing me? See, with our picture of seed to sow, the seed representing our finance, if we're always eating the seed, we can't expect an abundance when it comes time to harvest. If we're always eating the seed. No, you first need to plant it. All right, say, Mike, calm down. <laughs> I need to calm down. See, God isn't interested in a leftover that I can bring. He isn't, he isn't after whatever I have left. He's actually after my best. And that's the same across the board, not only with my finance, with my time. You see, we, we get our, our thinking all twisted up when we start to talk about finance, but if I were to talk to you about time, we talk about a tithe of finance, tithe of time. You have 24 hours in the day. If you were to tithe that time to God, two and a half-ish hours, 
who here spends two and a half-ish hours only in focus and totally separated before God? I don't. <laughs> but all of a sudden when we talk about finance, it becomes a different story. But across the board, God is worthy of a tithe of everything that we have. Not just your finance. He's not interested in a leftover. He's after my best. And yet in a society where we've... We, we actually live in a society where we've actually lost the opportunity a lot of the time to give our first or our best because we don't even get to make that decision. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about tax and super. Because the truth is, before you even get to touch your wages, Mr. Taxman comes in, has a look. So, oh, wow, you did 12 hours overtime. I'll take half of that. <laughs> Before you even get the opportunity, I remember working at the winery. Before uh, we had, we'd have casuals come through and they'd we'd work big hours. You're working, working like 70 hour weeks, working every day. You're working, if you're working a seven hour, seven, if you're working a seven day week, 12 hours a day, it's 84. And I think I only did probably four or five of those weeks. Anyway, you talk to see some of the casuals that are coming in from overseas. They don't talk to you about what ends up in their hands. The first thing that they say to you is, look at this tax. That's the first thing that they say to you. Look, look, look at the tax. It's like, but like, you still got heaps of money on the other side. I said, no, but the tax. Before you even get the opportunity to give to God's hands, the government comes in and takes their, their, their share. Boom. And it's actually become mandatory that in Australia, the government takes a portion and puts it in your back pocket for another time. You're super. So we can't even give it first, <laughs> which is sad. Because if God's deserving of our best, surely it's got to be the first. But is it safe to say that even though we do have to pay taxes, we all agree that the government knows how to use that money well. <laughs> of course they do, right? <laughs> government knows exactly what to do with the finance, but it's taken already. So that's what we've done as society, as, human, as humans, across civilization, across time. Over all the millennia, we've elected people like us to sit over us, to rule over us. And one of the first mandates that they bring in as they rule over us is a tax. I'm not having a go at it. It's just, and, it, and the tax has always been something that helps our society and the way that we live. It's always, helped that to, it's always helped to facilitate that. We have amazing things come through the government as much as everyone agrees or doesn't agree. <laughs> But we have things like public schools, public hospitals, public roads, transport, public transport, exactly. We have Medicare. That's amazing. So many places in the world where if you, I don't know, if you get cut with a rusty blade, you might as well get ready to die. 
to settle your affairs because this public health care is not something so common in other parts of the world. Here in Australia, we're blessed. So yeah, the tax takes care of us, of course. So many different things, and they provide an amazing service to us. Would you agree? Yes. All right, Mike, what are you getting at? <laughs> All of these things the government provides as a service. And they don't ask you to, to donate. They don't ask you if you feel like you should give. It's not even demanded anymore. It's just taken. But as believers, we need to see that everything that we have been blessed with is a gift from God. If you want to see, or if you want to talk about a service that's provided, oh, we've been blessed beyond our wildest imaginations because of what God has done for us. I just want to put a bit of context around it. So if you want to talk about services that are provided, we talked about what the government provides. What about the very air in the lung, in your lungs, like now? What about the family that you've been blessed with? I see a row of stones. I was like, big family. The laughter of your children. Take a moment for yourself. What is the thing that brings you the most joy for yourself? The thing that brings you the most joy. That's a gift from God. With all of these things, yet there is no tax in the kingdom of God. In fact, tithes and offerings are never an obligation. They're a response. They're our response. To a God who is so good. Amen? Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 7. So this is the very first instance of an offering that we see in the Bible. Everyone knows the story? Cain and Abel. <laughs> so Cain and Abel, they come before God and they place an offering on the altar. And this is why you can say that it's a response to the goodness of God. Because you won't find before the offering... God asking them to give. Go through it. You won't find it. Before God says anything, makes any requirement, this is centuries before the Mosaic law. Centuries before Moses comes along and then actually tells the people that you actually need to bring something into the house. So the law of offering and the law of tithing, the principle, was alive before Moses. As we taught, heard from Pastor Steve last week, it's, a Mo, it's alive after him. And just because it says it in Malachi, it doesn't mean it died in the Old Testament. It lives today. It's a principle. And you can ask some of those who have been in the faith in this room today, 
the blessing that tithe has been to them and their families. So it's not something that lives outside of this building. It's experience that's been had here. All right. So the two, so the two bring their offerings before God, but no one asked them to bring the offering. No one asked them to bring it into the house. Therefore, it's not an obligation that they had to fulfill. But it was, a, it, was a, it was their response to God's goodness. You see, they both brought an offering. Uh, Cain brought the, the fruits of the ground that he was working. And Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. So even just in the offering itself, we see Cain's, or we see Abel's devotion to God by the, the look of the offering. We see it. It's not because they, they were, they were he, he was richer or one was poorer. They were both brothers. They lived from the same household. They under the same father. The ground was producing the same for both of them. But we see Abel's devotion in his offering. And we see Cain's, we see Cain's, uh, his heart, not in his offering, because it doesn't say that his offering was any less to God, but it does, he comes in and he questions Cain after the offering has been made. And it's actually the questioning afterwards that we see Cain's heart. So if we read from verse... Sorry, from verse 11. No. Four. Going wrong. Oh, from verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So the offerings were the same, but, Jesus, oh, but God makes it clear which one he had regard for. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's not in the offering. It's in the way that God speaks to him afterward. We see that Cain's heart was not contrite, humble before God, genuine in wanting to be in relationship with God. But we see as Abel was accepted that he was after God. He wanted to please God in the way he was bringing his offering before him. So the conversation reveals that our giving is not disconnected from our hearts. Because, oh, because giving is an act of worship, and every act of worship is a matter of the heart. Every act of worship is, an, is a... Is a it's a matter of the heart. So Cain brings an offering just as good as Abel's, but his heart's not in it. And because his heart's not in it, God doesn't accept it. And that's across the board with every act of worship. Every act of worship. When you come in and you start to sing. When the guys are up here leading the service. Lord, you are good and your mercy. 
supremacy endure forever. It's the heart. I'm not saying you have to sing in tune. I'm just saying that your heart has to be in it. Sing it loud. Sing it with your heart. And when we give, it's the same deal. It's an act of worship. And it's a reflection of our heart condition. Therefore, my heart goes with my offering. Not just there. The way that I pray is an act of worship. And if my heart is not with my prayer, then I might as well hold a rosary. Oh, man, I'm going to start. I better not. But that's really how it is. I might just recite something that's just been written, and I might as well just do that. If I could disconnect my heart from my act of worship. That's not what God's after. He's after the heart. He's after the heart. Amen? So I've got a short list of responses where God's people have responded to His goodness. So we've got Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 7. We've got Noah in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 to 21. This is Noah that just saved, like, just saved all the endangered species of the earth. He saves them. And then one of the first things that he comes and does when they finally, when the waters have receded, is he decides to put a barbecue on for God. And he sacrifices animals that are already, already nearly extinct. I can only imagine if RSPCA was around. They would have been up in arms. They would have been going off. We've got Israel in Exodus chapter 5, 25, verse 2. Flick over with me. So this is at the contributions to the sanctuary, when they're building the sanctuary out in the desert after they've been delivered from Egypt. They're building the sanctuary before God. And in verse 2 it reads, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. This is not something new. It's been around. It's been around and they've been speaking this for generations. For every man whose heart moves him to give, let him give from his heart. Amen? Uh, let's look over to Genesis chapter 36. Verse, oh, sorry, Exodus 36, 1 to 7. We see here, a little bit of context here. Um, They've already built the tent of meeting. This is, uh, this is after Moses went up Mount Sinai, had a meeting with God, comes down to find the people worshipping a calf. He comes back down, and a few thousand people are killed because of what happened. Only a few thousand. Say, Mike, that's a few thousand. No, but just only a few thousand. What you've got to understand is that the nation of Israel worshipped this calf. And only a few thousand were killed. Put yourselves in, your, in the shoes of the nation of Israel right there. If you're the one, not the one, one of the ones who died, but one of the ones who survived. We all were here. But, Whoa, big calf. Yeah, party. And then Moses comes down, a few thousands are slaughtered, and then all of a sudden the calf is not a good idea anymore. <laughs> we, all sort of, we all sort of walk around and it's like, ooh. Jenny, that was not a good idea. We shouldn't have done that. <laughs> we should not have done that. It's like, Lord, 
I know very much so that we would have been repentant before God. Straight away. Hearts repentant. Right, right then. Right then and there. So after that, to show their heart, the, the repentant of the, how, how, how repentant their hearts were, in chapter 36, they start to build the tabernacle. And the people are called to give an offering. Uh, yeah, they were called to give an offering to be able to build the tabernacle. And the Bible actually records that Moses had to stop the people. He had to stop them because they were bringing so much into the temple. They were bringing so much. It was too much. They couldn't hold it. They couldn't even store it. I wouldn't have told them to stop. I would have just built a shed. <laughs> yeah? Ah, no, that's all right. Just put it in the shed. Put it in the shed. No, but no, Moses tells them, no, 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 that's, that's too much here. Stop. Just tell them to stop. We've got enough. We can build the, the tabernacle again. Or we can build the tabernacle, sorry. All this to say that the heart motives matter. You see, from now I've, I've only discussed our response to God. Yeah? But let's hear what God has to say about the tithes and the offerings. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 3. We'll read from verses 10 to verse 12. So bring the full tithe into the, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I just, sometimes I wonder how we see God when it comes to giving. How do you picture him? Or how, I don't know how you've been taught, but I want to take, I want to take the, 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 how did you say? How did I write it? I want to take the judgment and I want to take the condemnation out of this right now. If you're a Christian and you're in the house and you don't give, that doesn't make you any less of a Christian. Because if you hear that, and you've heard that before, I apologize that you've heard that. Because that's not the truth. How much you give is not a measure of your Christianity. That is never a measure of your Christianity. And so if you've heard that, or you're hearing that, I speak against that right now. It's not the truth. But I want to, yeah, I want to, I just want to talk to us about how we see God. Do we see God as a person who's a beggar sitting on the streets waiting on arms? No? Do we see God as a tax collector sitting in a booth waiting for you to come and bring what you owe to him? You better hurry up, 10%. And you made this much this week, you better come down, down to the penny. How do we see God when it comes to giving? Because sometimes we have this misconstrued view that God is absolutely 
desperate for me to give him my finance. Because <laughs> I want to talk about the scripture because, like I said before, it's not about us bringing it to him. It's about him wanting to bless us. Okay? So let's talk about it a little bit. We've got to remember that he's not waiting on us to give so that he has a lot. He already has a lot. He's the king of the universe. He's not waiting for you to top up his bank account. It's not what he's after. And no way, in, no way are you ever going to be able to have that type of money. But we've got to see that in tying our hands in regards to giving, we reveal a few things. We reveal our lack of revelation. We reveal that we don't quite understand how much we've been blessed with. And if that's the case, hey, I pray for revelation in the house, that we would have an understanding, a perspective to see that everything that we enjoy and have been blessed with is because of God's blessing over us. Because that's the truth. It's not an airy-fairy type of just sentiment to be able to put out there. That's the absolute truth. The things that you love to see, the things you take joy in, that sunrise or sunset that you love to take a photo of and upload to Instagram with a really inspiring Bible verse. Those things that we take for granted. They're amazing and they're all gifts. And an idea or a, 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 a perspective that shows that we shouldn't give or don't want to give, it just shows a lack of revelation. It reveals a lack of our revelation. Second thing it shows. Oh, misspelled pass. <laughs> but the second thing it does, tying our hands in regards to giving, we pass up the opportunity to put God to the test. Look, this is pretty awesome, that the fact that this is actually in the Bible. The fact that we actually get to test God in this. Hmm. Let me go to Malachi. Here we go. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down, pour for you a blessing until there is no more need. Uh, in regards to tithes and offering, we actually have the opportunity to test God. And that seems like a lot of fun. I reckon that's fun. <laughs> because... You, you can, if you're in relationship with him and you're, you're talking to him all the time, you can do that. <laughs> it's an ability that he's put in his word, so I can stay. I'll, I'll, I'll take that to the bank every day. The last one's my favorite. We pass up on God's protection. It's, it's my favorite one because it comes from verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you. You understand, this is like my favorite promise to go to in the scriptures. My favorite promise to go to in the scriptures. Anytime something's happening with family, anytime something's happening with something else, I can go back and I say, Lord, Malachi 3.11, you said you would rebuke the hand of the devourer. I love that verse. 
<laughs> I love that verse. But neglecting the tithes and the offerings, we pass up on that. Not because that's a given, because that's a blessing. That's a massive blessing. <laughs> it's a massive blessing for us as people. That we reveal our heart, our lack of revelation. We pass up on the opportunity to put God to the test and we pass up on God's protection when we tie our own hands in giving. In tying our own hands, we, we tie His. Now, some of that took me a long time to understand. I'm going to ask Dario if he can come up, jump on the keys for me, man. I want to go back to verse 10. I want to talk about the floodgates. Because um, verse 10 didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I suppose it's because I'm a city kid and um, the picture just didn't make sense. <laughs> but the picture shows, uh, the, the verse 10, let me read it again. It goes, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test, Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. When I read that, or when I used to read that, I just, <laughs> the picture that came to me was like money falling from the sky. <laughs> I don't know what to think. I was like, pour down a blessing for you, that there be no more need. I don't know what to think of that. It's just like, well, it just looks like a car, really, coming down from heaven. You picture it. It's a new set of golf clubs. Or, I don't know. Whatever your fancies. But verse 10 makes sense in the setting like Griffith. Because you're all been around farms for quite a while. And you understand what opening up the floodgates of heaven actually means. <laughs> I understand. I didn't get this until just recently. <laughs> But opening up the floodgates, it's a direct quote from scriptures in Exodus and earlier on in the scriptures where it actually talks about rain. He's actually talking about rain. See that I don't open the floodgates or I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out the rain. See that I don't pour out the rain. But I ask you a question. Do you water a patch of dirt with no seed in it expecting a harvest? Day by day, you just go and water a patch. These watermelons are coming. Let's go down and water the patch again. Water another patch of dirt and say, well, there's going to be apple trees there. You go water another patch of dirt and say, well, well, I'm looking for pumpkins there. We don't. No one does that. And if you do, we're having prayer time after this. Come up, we need to pray for you. <laughs> but truthfully, you don't water where you don't plant. You see, the seeds in our hands, 
we can either eat them all away, waste them all away, or we can plant them. And in planting them, not only is the ground blessed, but there's a multiplication that happens. There's a multiplication that happens when you put one apple seed in the ground. You get a tree of apples. When you put one orange seed in the ground, you get an orange tree producing fruit. And if it's taken care of, it produces fruit year after year. That's off one seed. God is a God of amazing multiplication. Final thought I just want to share. The seeds are in our hands, but the rain is in His. He'll make it rain. That's without a worry. It's a guarantee. But if you don't plant the seed, it doesn't grow. And there's so many other ways we can take this. This is, I love the fact that the Bible is about farming and I've got no idea about it, so I'm learning so much. But it takes a seed. And as we look to the future and as we, we believe that we're meant for a new land and we're meant for a bigger building, we're just praying that you'd step out with us and plant a seed. So we're asking. You see, sometimes when we talk about giving, we feel that sometimes God is actually disconnected from giving as if he doesn't know what it's like and as if he doesn't know what the experience of having to give is. But that couldn't be further from the truth. He doesn't live outside of that principle. He lives from experience. Because he gave a seed. He gave us his first seed. And his son, who would come, die, sit in a grave for three days, rise again victorious. And because of that seed, all of humanity reaps the blessing. Church, I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the hearts in the house. Lord, we just pray that you would stir our hearts up. Lord, not only for this season, not only because there's a, <laughs> there's a giving campaign going on, but Lord, you would allow these principles and these truths to sink deep into our hearts. And Lord, that that would produce fruit in the way that we are able to sow seed in the kingdom in the way that we are able to worship you in our giving and in our, in our, in our singing, in the way that we pray, in the way that we love people, Lord. Father, if we lack a revelation, Holy Spirit, we just pray for revelation right now for every person that needs it. We pray for it for ourselves, Father, to have a greater revelation. Father, we just commit this into your hands, Lord, as we, have, as we go about the week ahead. We just pray that you bring these things to the service, allow us to, to work through them with you. And Father, we, just, we thank you so much that we're able to bless others because of your blessing over us.
Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, if you would like prayer, the front is open. We'd love to pray for you. For everyone else, have a blessed Sunday. Stick around. Head out to the back. Have a cup of tea. Have a coffee. Chat with someone that you didn't walk in with. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bless you guys.